0: Welcome to Open Life. My name is Jaden. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're really glad that you're here today. Um, today we're talking about the Beatitudes and what uh, the lady on the screen, she just read. The one that we're going to be talking about today, it's Matthew 5.8. But um, before we get to that, if you don't know what the Beatitudes are, they are a series of teachings that Jesus spoke, and really um, what they the Latin word that is Beatitudes it basically means blessedness, and so that's what we get when we hear Jesus saying, blessed are the blank, for they will blank, you know, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today, and so it's just, we're going to be walking through those throughout this entire series, is talking about different Beatitudes, and today we're going to be focusing on what it means to be pure at heart, and so we're applying these Beatitudes to how we live our lives personally in our own hearts, but also how we live with our families. And as we ask God to bless our homes, um, how can we walk these beatitudes out? How can we walk them um, the way Jesus wants us to do? And I just want to start today with a question. Have you ever been robbed? Has your car been broken into? Has your home been broken into? Um, I know for me, I've had my car broken into a number of times. And it's one of the most frustrating things, especially when The door was unlocked, and they had no reason to break the window. I'm like, come on, man. Like, just, you were going to steal stuff. You could have just opened the door. Now I had to go, like, figure out how to replace a side window. And it's, like, one of those one-corner ones that, like, doesn't even roll up. It's just that corner corner window in your door. And you're like... I'm going to pay how many hundreds of dollars just for that little piece of glass? You could have just opened the door. Um, but if you've ever had your home broken into, it's much of a different, and different story. Um, just even for not even thinking about all the lost possessions and stuff, that, that stuff hurts, and it, it really stinks when that happens. But I think what lingers is that just queasy feeling of someone's been going through your stuff. Some of that like private feeling where, hey, my privacy has been invaded and like this makes me really uncomfortable. And so a lot of times it it becomes like months before you kind of get used to life after you've had your home robbed or broken into. And so I think you become ultra paranoid after this that it's going to happen again. And so we get in ultra protection mode. We get, you know, okay, I need to call Comcast to get Xfinity home so that every time I open the door, the little iPad dings, you know, when you and it's super annoying cuz now you have to live under security and under protection. And so whatever your whatever you do to protect yourselves and so I know for like men it's like, you know, where's my shotgun at? Where is my baseball at? Where is that going to be hidden? And so it's because it all comes to the point of we want to protect our families. We want to protect ourselves. We want to protect our loved ones. And we want to know that they're under protection, that they're going to be safe, especially when we're gone. And so for men, it's, you know, it's like those weapons and that, like, masculine, like, protection. But I don't know, when when you're talking about um, mothers and their children, like, they're— I know for my mom, it was like, whenever I went out of the house, it's like, what are you doing? What are you going to be back? How long are you going to be gone? Who are you going to hang out with? It's like all of these these like, laundry lists of questions. And so, you know, even moms and dads at the playground, when another kid messes with your kid, don't you want to just go and like do bodily harm to that child? I imagine that's the case. I mean, when I'm at the dog park with Walter, I'm like, don't mess with Walter, you know. Just leave him alone. If you can't handle yourself, get out of the dog park, you know. And so I can only imagine what it's like when you're talking about uh, your own children, your own flesh and blood, and the, the children that you have in your house that you're there to protect. And so there's just something in us that wants to protect our families and protect our homes, But in our culture today, we're applauded for protecting our kids physically. You know, I was hearing, I saw this like blurb from the Today Show that was talking about the mom who left her child alone for seven minutes and like the uproar that was uh, because of that. Because we want to protect our children. We don't want to ever feel like they're alone and that they're not going to be cared for or attended to. But I think on the flip side, in our culture today, when parents try and lift up, um, protect their kids in another way. Um, When we're talking about parents protecting their their morals or their purity, um, we kind of get this stigma, parents do, that, you know, you're too overprotective. You know, just let your kids live. And so it's funny how we, we want to protect them physically, but then anytime we want to protect them emotionally or morally, then it's like, you know, you are being too overprotective. You are hurting their development as a person. And so we're overprotective if we want to know who our kids' friends are. We're overprotective if we want to know who our sons and daughters are going on a date with. We're overprotective if you want to know what kids are looking at online. And so you begin to be called, you're a snoop, you know, just let your your kids have freedom. And so what we're going to be talking about today is that is not the case. When we're talking about purity and we're talking about living pure in order to see Jesus, when we're talking about this beatitude that we'll read in just a second, is we're talking about having standards in our lives and be able to set up for our families the protection that they need to get through their childhood, teenage years, and ultimately when you're adult. And the habits you create as a child are what you begin to often foster when you are adult. And so just as much as we protect ourselves physically, and there are people that would try to rob us physically, there is an enemy that is trying to rob us spiritually, trying to steal, kill, and destroy the relationship that Jesus wants to have with all of us. And so it's our innocence that keeps us in trust with our children, and and the enemy wants to destroy that trust that your kids have in you. And they want they the enemy wants your kids to think that you're snooping and that you're being overprotective and that you're being such a bad parent because you just want to know what's going on in their lives. But it's parents just be encouraged that that is what you want to do, even when it's hard. We encourage you to get inside the lives of your kids and live that out. So let's read the verse today. It's Matthew five eight. And in the new living translation which translation which we're reading today it says God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. God blesses those those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. And you know heart the word heart in the Greek actually is pronounced uh, cardia and it's, it's how we get the word cardio. And so when we're talking about cardiovascular activity, when you're at the gym working out your cardio, you're working out your heart, you're working it to be healthier, you're working it so you don't have a heart attack, so that your blood is pumping strong inside of your body. And Jesus is using this as a metaphor to describe the emotions and feelings. And it's really a word for our inner self. When we're talking about the heart, we're talking about who we are on the inside, at the very deepest core of who we are. Jesus was talking very broadly about our attitudes, our thoughts, and our motives towards other people. And so we're going to be talking, focusing on moral purity and apply it to our homes and families. And you know, we often say, we might look at someone and say, well, you know, Jimmy over here, he has such a great heart. You know, he would never do something like that. Or, you know, Sarah over here, you have such a great heart. But. But really, when we're looking at Jesus and we're looking at God and in our relationship with Him, our culture likes to highlight the thoughts and following our heart because our hearts will, we say our hearts will never lead us astray. As long as you're doing what your heart tells you, you can never really go wrong. But as we read and what we're going to talk about today is oftentimes our, heart, our hearts deceive us. Our hearts are oftentimes inclined to do, maybe that's what's not best for us. And so even the wise Napoleon Dynamite my favorite movie as a kid you know he even said he said listen to your heart that's what I always do and you know that like, that's like that's like my famous line I'll tell Danny when she's like has a decision and I'm like, just listen to your heart. That's what I would do. And so she gets so annoyed with me. But it's the best advice ever because it's Napoleon and it's just like you can just, then you just get on a tangent. You talk about throwing footballs a quarter mile and how I was really good at football and back in 82. And I wasn't even born in 82. So it's like, it's fun just to just go off the shotgun or the machine gun list of quotes But today, we're going to talk about the big idea is that without Jesus, there is no such thing as a pure heart. We want you to leave today and really realize that without Jesus in your life, there's no such thing as a pure heart. Even though you might do good things, even though you might, like, you know, really strive to impress people on the outside— we want you to realize that without Jesus inside of your life, you're never gonna have that pure heart. And so that's what we're gonna be unpacking today. Because our hearts are inherently inclined to please one person, and that's ourselves. When we say we're following our heart, it's we're saying, I want the easiest way out of this situation. When we're we're faced with a tough decision and we're given the advice, just follow your heart, you're saying, Well, What's going to be good for me in the end, in five years when I make the decision? What's going to be good for, for number one, you know? And it's only when we choose to let Jesus work in our hearts that we begin to truly love others. And in this case, what we're really talking about today is how do we love our families? How does purity of heart help us love our families and lead them? You see, Jeremiah 17, 9-10 says this, "...the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked." Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. And so, the interesting thing about our relationship with God is that He knows the inner working of who we are. He knows what our hearts are naturally inclined to. He knows our secrets, He knows our desires, our motives, and He knows if we are just putting on an act, or if we're putting on a show, and, or if it's coming, if our actions are coming from a genuine heart that wants to please Him. Have we let ourselves become accustomed to following Jesus, or are we letting ourselves become accustomed to our culture, its social norms, and its standards? And it's a lot like how our eyes adjust to darkness, you know? When you first go to bed, it's like the lights go out, and you're like, I cannot see anything, But then as like a minute goes by, as five minutes goes by, or if you wake up in the middle of the night, you can get up and walk across the room to go to the bathroom to do anything. You don't need a nightlight. You don't need a light because your eyes adjust to the darkness. And sometimes I think if we're not having Jesus at the center of our lives, then our lives become accustomed to things that don't please God. We're like You know, these things aren't that bad. I'm fine with those. And then when you unpack scripture and then when you read and you start having that stronger relationship with Jesus, you realize, man, there's some things that Jesus is shedding light on that I never knew that I was doing. And that's part of the process of following Jesus is he shows you what in your life needs to be worked on, what needs to be processed through. But have we let ourselves become accustomed to not following Jesus? Have we let something creep in that might say, you know what, this is just distracting us from what Jesus wants for our lives, what he wants for our families and our future we have with him? We read in Ephesians that when we are accustomed to living away from our relationship with God, we lose our sense of what following Jesus is like. Listen to this, Ephesians 4, 18 through 19, it says, Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life of God, the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. They have no sense of shame. So sometimes I think when we live our lives and we don't have Jesus at the center, it's easy for our minds to become accustomed, to adapt to the darkness, and then we have no sense of shame. And has it happened in the lives of our family that we have become accustomed to the darkness? Have we let impurity in either one way or the other that we can't see the goodness of who God is? that we've missed his blessings that he's given to us, that we, we so, we're so far along down a path that we can't look and see the blessings that God has given us, how he's been leading us and walking us through different hurts and tribulations and trials. And that's, that was what last week's big idea was all about, that blessed homes are centered around Jesus, is because we believe this, that life is better with Jesus at the center, When we put Jesus at the center and let every decision, every thought, everything that we could say is the core of who we are, our inner self, our hearts, when we put Jesus at the center of that, then we, life is going to be better because he's going to lead us where he wants us to go. And so when we have chosen to follow Jesus, we have started that process of putting Jesus at the forefront of how we're living. And it's going to dictate how we live our lives and how we love our families. And, you know, Psalm 119 Nine through ten says this: How can a young person stay pure by obeying your word? I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. And so it says: How can a young person? How can a young person stay pure? And so if you're if you consider yourself um, a young person, or if you consider yourself an old person, it's good news today because we get to all be young people in this verse when we're applying it. Is how can you? (coughs) Excuse me. How can you stay pure? It's by keeping according to God's word, by obeying his word. And so if you feel like that verse doesn't apply to you, it's encouraging to know that we, we follow this word. But but we when when culture says just follow your heart, but the Bible says just follow the word, what is the Bible actually talking about? And if we're obeying the word to be pure, what does that mean? And the cool thing is that scripture reveals what the Word actually is. And so when you read in John 1.14, this is what Jesus said. And this is what Jesus lived out. It's the beginning of John, the Gospel. It says, So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So we read in Psalms, in the Old Testament, we read that to, to, to keep pure, we're supposed to obey God's Word. But the cool thing is is when we read in the New Testament and we read about Jesus, we find out that Jesus is actually the living, breathing Word of God. So how can you stay pure? It's by becoming more and more like Jesus every single day. And so when we when we go through stories that open life, when we take a year and a half or two years to walk through the book of Luke, just so that we can look at the stories of Jesus and understand how he lived his life, that's to encourage all of us because we all have an example of how to live our lives and how to love people. So that we know that when we go to our homes, we know how to love our families. So that when we go to our workplaces, we know how to love our coworkers or if you work in the service injury, how to love our customers. It's all about Jesus and it's all about putting him at the center and at the forefront of what we're doing. You don't build a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. You build it on living your life with Jesus at the center and letting everything be changed and dictated by that fact. We have to plant seeds of righteousness today. And so today we're going to jump into thought one. It's Get our own heart right. Get our own heart right. A lot of times, we like to look at what other people are doing and we say, you know, that is wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. Or parents, you look at your kids and you're like, kids, you need to quit doing that. Like, get your lives figured out, you know, quit looking at that stuff online or quit doing that. But yet, do we have our own hearts Right? We can't expect or focus on other people trying to find purity until we start dressing our own inner self and following Jesus. And you have to know that when you tell your children to do something, act a certain way, or live with certain standards, they are looking to you to lead the way. And it's really hard to make the expression, do as I say, not as I do, be an effective parenting strategy. Because your, your kids are like the exact replica of you. And they're going to look at your strengths and your weaknesses and they're going to say, you know what, I want those strengths in my life, but I'm definitely not going to, I'm going to, you know, it's like when you grow up, it's like you never want to be told that you're just like your dad or you're just like your mom. And like, that's like Danny's secret weapon. It's like, I know someone else who would say that. And it's like, oh, snap, I'm just going to shut up now. You know, like it's usually something I said or a way that I reacted like in a quick way. You know, you have a temper just like your I won't throw my mom or my dad under the bus. So I'm not gonna say which one. But if you know me, you probably know. But anyway, it's really hard to do that. You can't tell your kids, do as I say, just listen to what I say, but don't look at the way that I live my life. So when we're talking about having hearts that are pure, what are you personally letting into your own life that your kid that you wouldn't want your kids putting into their lives? What are you putting into your life that you wouldn't want your kids putting into theirs? Are you living out what you're teaching your kids to do? When is the last time you had to change the channel or stop the movie because you felt the Holy Spirit saying, you know, you shouldn't be watching that? When was the last time you were at the store and you said, you know what, maybe I don't need to buy this because it... It's just an unnecessary item. It's going to hurt my budget. I might go into debt over this. When's the last time you felt the need to just say, you know what, I don't need that this month? When was the last time you said, okay, maybe two drinks is enough. My kids don't need to see me tipsy. And I don't know what your situation is. It's not just about what we watch on TV. It's not just about our finances. For some of you, it might be alcohols. For some of you, it might be food. Well, whatever it is, your kids see the way you live your lives. And when you tell them not to do something, and you're doing the very thing that you're telling them not to do, it's not going to go a long way in creating a pure family that's focusing with Jesus at the center. Proverbs 4.23, 423 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. When we guard our hearts in these situations, situations, sometimes it's like common sense. It's like, yeah, of course I'm not going to do that. But other times it's going to be sacrifice. It's going to say, you know what, it would be fine for me to do this, but what example would I be setting for my kids if I'm going to do this in front of them? If I'm going to do this and my kids are going to see me? Sometimes you just have to say, you know what, I'm going to self-sacrifice for my family because I'm going to lead the way and be a parent to my children. The first step is to get our own heart right. And then those around us who are trying to, we are trying to influence, whether it's our kids at home or our coworkers at work or people that are are in our friendships, in our relationship with us, how are you influencing them? When we put Jesus at the center, when we figure ourselves out first, then people will be drawn to following us as we follow Jesus. Thought number two Love to the heart. And what this means is, like, actually love people not just to their outer expressions, their outward actions, but love them to the very core of who they are. Love them to their very inner being. Love them to the heart. When we are loving our kids and loving our spouses— are we truly doing that? Are we loving them to the very center of who we are, or do we just want them to not embarrass us when we're in public? You know, let's just put on a good face. We're headed to church. This is totally my family. We might be arguing and fighting in the morning like crazy, and it's like before I, like when I finally started driving. drive, was like, okay, 15 minutes to church by myself in my own car. It's like freedom, But there'll be times we drive in the car together and we're just like, quit doing that. Me and my sisters are fighting. My mom and dad might be fighting. Again, not throwing them under the bus, but just telling you a true story, trying to be transparent. And so we might be fighting. And then the minute we get to church, it's like, put on the smiles. We're the perfect family, everyone loves us. And so it's like we get into that mode sometimes where it's like you know just put on the put on the, the good face and then let's let's get on to the next thing. You know in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, like God's chosen people, got to a point where they said, you know what? this whole like relationship with you God that you've established isn't really working out for us. We want a king to lead us in that relationship. And so as much as God didn't want to do that, he said, "Okay, if that's what you want to do, let's like make it official. Let's do it the right way." And so he sent a prophet named Samuel, and he said, "Samuel, go find our next king." And and so this is this was the process. So there was a king in place called Saul, but he was failing at his job. And so God said, okay, it's time for a new king. Let's go anoint that person. And so Samuel goes to this family, and he's like, there's like a bunch of brothers together. And, you know, it goes from the oldest, like most noble, to this scrawny little kid named David. And if you've read the Old Testament, you know who David is and and stuff like that. And if you haven't, it's all in 1 Samuel, and I'd love for you to do that. But the cool thing about David is like God chose him not for what was on the outside. And, And we read... This is God's instruction to Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see, see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. People judge at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God doesn't worry about how we act in public about how we are in front of our friends and of our family, you know, when we go to family reunions, you're like trying to impress, man, job is going great, I'm making so much money, you know, you should be jealous of me, I'm doing so good. You know, when we try and do those things to impress others, God doesn't care about that stuff because God sees who we are when no one's watching. He sees the decisions we make in secret, he knows the thoughts that we think, that we think Only us know about. He knows what's inside of your heart. And so as much as, like, you know, it happens with me and Danny sometimes, where you just, like, you're going through a bunch of stuff in life, and you're like, okay, let's just put on the happy face. And you do that, like, weird laugh, like, "Ah, everything is great. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, it's awesome. And then you go home, and you're like, no, it's not. I am so mad. Like, get me out of this place, you know? And, like, that's the difference of our lives is God knows those moments. God knows when we're going through rough stuff. Most people, when we're talking about parenting, when you're talking about, you're, like, especially teenagers, you just say, okay, how do I get them to 18? How do I get them alive to that age? And so you, we parent to the actions. We parent to the point of outward submission while still maybe knowing that there's some inner turmoil that's going on inside of our children's hearts. You see, God calls us to parent through outward actions and into the heart. We need to love to the heart, but that's a really hard process. Sometimes it means sitting down with your kids and having the most awkward conversations with them, the conversations that your kids are probably going to hate, that it's going to be like tooth and nail, to try and get them to sit through, and you're going to want to avoid it, and they're going to want to avoid it, but those, those conversations are really important. You know, sometimes it's for you to let them know that you're super proud of them for maybe a decision that they made that really shows a strong character, but sometimes it's going to be those hard, dis- those hard discussions where you say, you know what, I'm a little disappointed in the decision that you made. And things need to change. And it's not even about discipline and, and like, and and you're grounded for two weeks. No phone, no cell phone, no internet, no Facebook, no anything. And it's, like, you just cut that kid off from all of society. (laughs) But, like, those are the hard decisions. I'll never forget the conversations I have with my mom and dad when they would say, Jaden, like, your friends think you're cool. You go to church and you're, like, leading worship at youth group. And you really have a good face, but you come home and you don't respect us. You don't respect your sisters. And it's like, one way or another, people are going to find out what's going on, and you need to change the way you're living. And it's like, that just wasn't one conversation. It's not like, after that, I became the perfect child after one conversation, and forever I've been changed, and I've been a perfect person ever since. But it's been those hard conversations over and over and over, as a parent, that got me out of out of the house. And my dad now we joke about some of the things he had to talk about and the things that I did and didn't know at the time. And students, you think you're ready to make all these strong decisions, the life-changing decisions at the age of 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, and even 18. You know, you might be thinking, okay, get me to to 18, and I'm out of here. I'm going to go live my life. But let me just say, the years from 18 to 23, when I was in college— like, those are when you truly become an adult. And so if you're going to make decisions when you're a teenager, you're going to miss the perspective of what it means to actually have some life under you, to take things slower and to say, you know what? Maybe my parents were right. Maybe they were actually knew what was going on. And so all the parents, yeah, just say amen. Yeah. So... That's just my words of thought and wisdom for both parties, and it's a little hard. I don't have kids, but we all were what children once, and we know what our, what our parents did that worked, and we know what our parents did that didn't work, and sometimes we have to have that perspective as we raise our children. So what are we looking for? It's purity of heart. We're working for the why behind the what that our children are doing. The heart that is behind the actions, because right actions come from a right heart. Thought number three is pursue perfect purity of the heart. And sometimes we think that we can attain purity on our own. We think that, okay, so that means I'm going to do all the right decisions. From now on, I'm always going to make the right choice. I'm always going to follow Jesus 100% the rest of my life. And then life happens, and you're like, oh, shoot, I just messed up. And then it's like, then what? And that's the great thing about Jesus is that through relationship with him, through forgiveness, when we mess up and sin, Jesus is always there to forgive us. And that doesn't mean that we just sin. Well, I'm good. I I got Jesus. I'm just going to ask for forgiveness. No, we're going to live a life that's pure. But when we do stumble, when we do fall, when we take a step back, we're going to say, Jesus, please work with me and let's try and get forward. So instead of one step forward, two step backs, we're going to start doing two steps forward and one step back. And sometimes that's the process of that life leads us. Sometimes we try to do it all on our own, and I think Jesus would have us give that up. He'd have us just put him at the center and figure out life start making those decisions, those that first decision. So like, if you're not following Jesus today, if you chose to follow Jesus today, like your first decision as you walk out the door today, I don't know what it would be for you, but how would you make it differently knowing that you have Jesus at the center of what you're doing? And that's the daily process of following Jesus. It's like, what would Jesus do in this situation? What would a Christ follower who has Jesus at the center do when faced with a credit card bill the size of, you know, the size of bankruptcy. How do I follow Jesus in that situation? What would Jesus do when my child is doing something at school and I have to go to the vice principal's office to talk to them about discipline? How would I parent through, how would Jesus parent through that? Those are the decisions that you have to make, but that's the struggle of being a follower of Jesus. Anything less then perfect purity is not truly purity. And so when we're following Jesus, we're understanding that He is the, pure defi- the actual definition of what purity means. And when we're talking about purity, it basically means without mixture. And so when we're t- looking at an example, it's like, man, that's it. Jesus is it. In Ephesians 5.3, it says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. If we are trying to live with Jesus as the center, are we letting other things in in how we're trying to live our lives? And so I don't know if you're committing adultery, how does that help you live a pure life? Teens, students, adults, if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend that you're not married to, how does sex before marriage let you live a pure life? Would looking lustfully at images on a screen be a way to pursue purity? How much impurity do we want to let into our lives? And that's a decision we have to ask all the time. So for me, I like to think about it in terms of like water bottles. If you know anything about me, I'm kind of a water bottle snob when it comes to drinking water. As you notice, when you come to Open Life, you get Kirkland Signature Water from Costco. This isn't just because it's reasonably priced and it's cheap and affordable and you get like 38 bottles instead of just like 24 at the stores. This is because Kirkland Signature Water is the best water to drink, in my humble opinion. I mean, Aquafina and Dasani are also really good, but you have to pay extra and it like, all tastes the same. But don't get me started when you're talking about Crystal Geyser or or Arrowhead. That's just like drinking pure sewage, in my opinion. And then Fiji water, like, I'm pretty sure they went to Fiji and got that out of the sewers and put it in a bottle and charged you for $4 for that. And so, um, so I'm, I realize I totally act like a snob right now, but I'm telling you, it's like, I drink water out of my LG refrigerator and I know when the filter needs to be changed. It's like, okay, I can't drink that. Like, let's get a new filter. Let's get this changed out right now, you know? And so now you know that when I come to your house and drink water out of your fridge, I'm secretly judging you. Alicia, they have a cool fridge. You just put the glass under it and it fills it magically. And so that gets you points, but it also tastes good. So good job. But anyway... All that to say, I think it all stems from, as a kid, I had these intense stomach aches. And so we're talking about like six or eight. So you know I've been scarred from it because it's, it's had a lot of lasting power in my life. But I had these intense, intense stomach aches, like the worst ever. T- to date, it's like I always remember those stomach aches. And the only way to get rid of them was for me to lay like f- flat on my back and just lay down and try and let the stomach ache pass. And so I would be in school, my stomach would just start hurting and I have to go like lay down in the side of the classroom. It's like, oh, it's just Jaden over there. He's laying down so he doesn't have a stomach ache. And so happened for like a few weeks and it turned into a month and we couldn't figure it out. So finally I found out I had Giardia, which is the most nastiest thing um, because it's like a parasite. And they said I probably got it from drinking water in a swimming pool that had, like, bird poop in it. It's nasty. Just, like, so nasty. And so, now today, I'm a super snob about what kind of water I drink. I'm like, you know what? That just doesn't taste good. I'm not going to drink that anymore. And you, you get all, like, high and mighty about it. Even last week, we had Open Life 101 and Dana was going to purchase the water for the event. And I'm like, which store are you going to? I'm like, okay, at Fred Meyer, the the store brand is good there because it's the same bottle as the Kirkland Costco water, so you should get that kind of water. You know, don't even pay for Dasati or Aquafina, just get the cheap stuff. And so it's a funny story and I, I say it as a joke, but if I'm that particular about what kind of water I choose to drink out of a bottle, when will I start being particular about the things that I'm letting inside of my spiritual life that I know are distracting me from a pure life of Jesus? Do I put as much thought into thinking, because I, I literally think, you know, that water is nasty. I'm just going to drink out of the tap water. But how many of us daily take, a, take an inventory of our lives and say, what am I putting in and what is coming out because a little impurity will always go a long way. When we say, you know what, I can watch that because it's not that big of a deal. I can just like look away or I can, you know, I'll just change the channel. But like, I remember my parents would actually change the channel. And this was before DVR. So if we're watching a show together and they have to change the channel, they miss the show. And like now it's like that would, you never do that. Like just pause it. Let the kids go out of the room or I'll, you know, I'll go back and watch it on a DVR. But like those are decisions. That's like the self-sacrifice you have to make sometimes in our lives to say what decisions I'm going to make to lead my family, to lead my kids so that they're they know what a follower of Jesus looks like. You know, Paul said in his writings, he often said, follow me as I follow Christ. And I can't think of a better way for parents to live our lives is to tell your kids in those awkward conversations, those awkward things for you to be able to say, you know what, son, daughter, follow me as I follow Christ. How can we set that example? How can we lead them in that? Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 26 says, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. That's like God talking to the Old Testament people and he's saying, you know what? I'm going to do this for you. So how much more today, now that we know Jesus, now that we're followers of him, how much more has he given us to get rid of our stony hearts, maybe the things in our lives that we are holding away from Him, to give us a heart that is responsive, that is beating and breathing literally to please Jesus with Him at the center. Today's action step is to just simply ask Jesus to purify our heart. And as I was studying what the word heart meant, Meant and what it means to have a pure heart, and how it helps you see God and see Jesus. One commentary author summed it up this way and it said, The pure in heart exhibit a single minded devotion to God that stems from the internal cleansing created by following Jesus. They exhibit a single minded devotion to God that stems from the internal cleansing created by following Jesus. And so, today, If you're not following Jesus, that's the first step in cleansing your heart. Following him and taking that step and doing that gets you in right relationship with God. But then for us that have been following Jesus, is what decisions, what things do we need to ask forgiveness for? What are we doing in our lives? And hopefully this doesn't sound like a condemning message. Oh, you're just calling me out on everything I'm doing. You're such a jerk, Jaden. Get off the stage, you know? Hopefully it's coming out of a sense of love And you're just saying, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm going to take an inventory of my life and think, God, what are you calling me to do? Because sometimes we mess up. Sometimes I mess up. And you have to have those hard conversations with God. And you're like, God, dude, I blew it. But he forgives us. And he lets us live our lives with him in right relationship with him. And he lets us love our children to be the, the examples of Jesus to them follow me as I follow Christ. Let's pray together. God, thank you for a morning to come before you and just to let our lives be opened to your moving inside of us. God, I pray, Lord, that we would look to the core, the very being of who we are and think about things that maybe we have let in, that we know we need to give up to you, that we know we need to change and be be different from when we leave this place today God I pray Lord that you would empower us to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit that if we can't think of anything now that we might notice it when we leave this place and we're in conversation or we're watching the TV God I pray that you would just convict us in a loving way that you do and God I pray Lord that as we do that we would be strengthened and encouraged to lead others whether it's our co-workers at work our friends But most of all, when we're asking you to bless our homes, God, let us be the examples for our kids and maybe some of us for our parents to be the example where we truly could say, son, daughter, follow me as I follow Christ, God. That's our heart's cry today, that you would purify our hearts so we can see you clearly and lead others in the process, God. So would you do that today? Would you strengthen and empower us today to love you more? In your name we pray, amen. We're going to have a time of worship. So if you want to stand, you can do that. If you want to sit and pray, if you want to write on the connection card or prayer request or a response to today's message, you can do that on there. But we just really want you to think about how can God purify my heart? How can I lead my family? How can I prepare to lead our family in the future. Let's do that today.